Like I said, my name's Tony. I'm the lead pastor here at Gateway. I want to give a big shout out to everybody who is at home, surrounded around your computers, your TVs. Have you figured the TV thing out yet? How to connect up so you could do large screen, uh, the whole family gathered in the living room or in, on the couches, in the chairs, on the floor, watching, being a part. Uh, we just want to say hi to all of you. All of our children and our students, our teens, uh, we are thinking of you too, and we are loving you and praying for you. I know it's been difficult being at home with mom and dad. You know, I know it's hard for you to be around them so much. And everybody's like, mom needs a break. And I'm thinking, well, kids probably need a break too, right? And uh, so we're praying for you and thinking about you. Today is week four of our five-week series, the Easter Challenge. I hope you've been able to join us online daily. Uh, We have been showing you um, the uh, videos. I've had Tamara, my wife, do a couple. She did the last couple, which was awesome. We may have some other guests doing that in the next uh, couple of weeks. But uh, hopefully you can join. If you can't, the the website is there, angolagateway.com slash Easter. And you can find all the previous weeks and the weeks to come that will happen this week. You can just go to that site, that, the link, and find them there. Well, let me start today with a question. And the question is this. If you had 20 minutes to live, what would you do? If you knew that you had 20 minutes to live, what would you do? When Cynthia Manley realized that she had only 20 minutes to live, her mind raced. She had no idea. First of all, she had to overcome that thought, I've got 20 minutes to live. And then she immediately went to, what's the most important thing that I can do right now? So she sat down and she wrote two letters to her two daughters. One of her daughters' names was Alana. She was a student at Seattle University. And she sat down and wrote this letter to her daughter. Stay strong. And no matter what happens, take care of you and sis. Find a way to get to California and be together. Be a family. And then she sat and wrote a second letter to her second daughter, Alyssa. She said, listen, no matter what happens, get your degree. Sounds like a mom, right? Have a good life and be successful. And take care of your sister. What would you do if you realized you had 20 minutes to live? Maybe you remember this story in January of 2018. A state worker in Hawaii chose the wrong menu and sent out a statewide alert that said this, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. Now listen, this is not a drill. In that, if you remember in January of 2018, there was all kinds of tension between North Korea and America. And we just found out that North Korea had gotten a ballistic missile that they could launch and reach the United States with it. And this, I won't say idiot, it was a mistake, it was an accident, sent this statewide. And Cynthia got this, as did Thousands and thousands and thousands of Hawaiian people. They had 30 minutes until a nuclear blast was going to be set off in Hawaii. 
Well, fear <laughs> motivated all of them to think about the most important thing that they should do at that moment. Cynthia wrote letters. The Northwest Catholic Org reported on a theology professor who was giving a re- an interview about about his experience of getting that. His name was Carter Dallas. And he said, I had four immediate thoughts. And he gave those four thoughts. The first one was this. Oh no, I haven't gone to confession yet. Makes me glad that I'm in a faith that believes in an assurance of salvation. He said, oh no, how do I perfect contrition? Oh no, we've got to get the kids praying the rosary. And then his fourth thought was, where's my whiskey? Fear motivated Carter to think, what is the most important thing that I can do now? Fear motivated Cynthia to say, what is the most important thing that I can do now? Fear is a major motivator. It motivates us to prioritize what is important. Now, fortunately, it all ended well for everybody in Hawaii. Well, except maybe the guy who accidentally sent that alert, right? Some have said it might have been a gift to many who live in Hawaii. You see, moments like this cause us to think about what really matters in life. Most of us Live as though we have all the time in the world when all we really have is today. So living like that makes us think, what is the most important thing? Like the ballistic missile alert, Jesus has also given all of his followers and the rest of the world an alert. Jesus has sent out an alert to all of us that there is an end. We're not sure when. And after that, the judgment. Sounds scary, right? Might bring fear into our hearts. Whether it's 20 minutes from now or 20 years from now, Jesus might return in a few weeks and he might return in a few centuries. But we've all been alerted that there will be a time when we all will stand before our Creator and give an account of our life. Give an account for the good and the bad that we have done with the life that we have been giving. For those who believe and follow Jesus, that conversation has loosely been scripted for us. Jesus said it something like this in Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three. Jesus said, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Listen, come and share your master's happiness. Come and share your master's happiness. Today, this message might seem like it's for just believers. Because I'm talking about being on mission with God. Putting the priority on the right things in your life. However, it's really for everyone. Because we've all been alerted. For everyone who struggles with purpose. 
for everyone who struggles with meaning, for everyone who struggles on what should I be doing with my life, this message is for you. Today, we, all, we are looking at the mission of God, the purpose of God, and how we play into that mission. And at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, He gave this great commission. Jesus stood after He had died and resurrected, and He'd spent 50 days with His believers and His followers, and He's getting ready to go back up to heaven, and Jesus is standing there, and He says, okay, therefore, Go. The very last thing that Jesus does in his earthly ministry, the very last message he has, the very last thing he wants to say to his disciples is, therefore, go. I like to think that that therefore is not just the verses before, but it's a cumulative therefore over his whole life. The fact that He came from heaven to earth in a miraculous birth. That God the Father sent Him to earth to save us and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The fact that He lived and taught a sinless life. The the, the fact that he He died for us. The fact that He was raised from the dead. It changed the whole world. The fact that He overcame the grave and He has all authority now. And He said, looks at His disciples and says, look... I have been through it. I've come, I've lived, I've taught, I've died, now I'm alive forevermore. I've got to go back to the Father. But guess what? Therefore, in, in light of all that I am and all that, all that I've done, therefore, go. Go. Be on mission. Be on God's mission. God's mission is always about sending and going. Sending and going. God sends us and the faithful go. The Apostle Paul was a man on a mission. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. He was on mission then too, but the wrong mission. We learn this not from others, but we learn it from the Apostle Paul himself. He gives his testimony that he was the worst of sinners, that before he met Jesus, his life was consumed with stamping out, to, of stomping out and, and getting rid of and eradicating this new faith, this new way of life called Christianity. Paul persecuted the Christians. Paul arrested the Christians. Paul voted there that day when Stephen, a disciple of Jesus, was stoned to death. He said yes. Do it. Paul was on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. Paul was on a mission. A mission that he thought was right until he met Jesus. And on that road, Paul met Jesus. Before he met Jesus, what do you think Paul was afraid of? What do you think motivated Paul? We know this from what he tried to control. He was afraid of the Jesus movement. He was afraid of losing control of his religion. He was afraid of this religion uh, uh, somehow infecting his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters. He was afraid of all of that. And Paul dedicated his life to trying to control it, trying to eliminate it, and he couldn't. And there on that Damascus road, he met Jesus and lost all control of his life. And he got a new mission. Paul's conversion changed his passion. Paul's conversion 
changed his fears. Paul's conversion changed his trajectory in life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was speaking to his brothers and sisters at Corinth, the church there at Corinth. And Paul was teaching, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to start with verse 10. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians years after his conversion, years after Paul has been on mission. Paul has been taking the gospel. Instead of trying to kill Christians, he is now making Christians. Instead of trying to rid the world of Jesus, he's now trying to bring more of Jesus into it. And he gives his whole life to it. And then Paul says this to the Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember I said the alert has been given. Paul's carrying that alert. There's a day coming that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus. That everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Verse 11. Since then, some of your Bibles may say, therefore, Since we know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of everything that we have done, good or bad, in the body, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Yeah. We try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Verse 12. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. The fear of the Lord, the idea of a healthy fear, the truth in knowing that someday I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and give an account of my life, motivated Paul to do what really matters in life. What is it that mattered to Paul? That we might try to persuade others. Paul didn't have any other fears in his life, right? I mean, Paul never was persecuted. Paul was never arrested. Paul was never beaten till he, you know, almost dead. Paul was never thrown in prison. Paul had never had death threats. All of that is not true. <laughs> Paul had all of that. Paul had a lot of things to be afraid of. But the thing that motivated his life the most was not the fear of men and what men could do to him, but the fact that he would stand before his Creator and give an account of his life. And that motivated Paul to get on mission. That motivated Paul to persuade others to the truth. Paul's life was not inner-directed out of fear and control, but Paul's life was focused outward. He was concerned for others in view of the fact that all of us will stand before the judgment. In verse 13, Paul says, I know we might seem crazy. <laughs> he says, I know I, we might seem crazy for doing this. this. You might look at us and look at our life and say, why are you doing this? I know we might seem out of our mind, as some say, 
But if we are, then it's all for God. We're doing this for God. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe this isn't right. Maybe we are out of our minds. But guess what? We believe and we're doing it anyways because we're doing it for God. But when we seem in our right minds, well, then it's for you. Paul is saying, I know we might seem crazy, and if we are, God will sort it out in the end. But what we're doing is because we love you. What we're doing is because we're afraid for you. What we're doing is because we have been motivated by the fact that there's this healthy fear of this idea of a judgment. It is very hard, listen, it is very hard to be on God's mission when your mission is really about you. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Paul goes on. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. So he had a fear factor, but now he has a love factor. He was motivated by the fear of the judgment, but he's also motivated by the love of Christ. He says, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer, listen, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In verse 14, Paul gives us this love factor. Paul is motivated by fear of the judgment and also the love of Jesus. I heard somebody ask a very prominent theologian one time, what is the most profound theological statement that you've come across in your 30, 40, 50 years of studying theology and the Bible? What is the most profound theological statement that you've ever heard? And the theologian thought for a moment and he said, Jesus loves me. That's the most profound theological statement he had ever heard. Love of Jesus compels us. Paul is saying, in some ways, it controls us. It hems us in. It holds us within the bounds of what we ought to be doing with our life. The guardrails keep us on the road. Jesus' love, Paul is saying, keeps us focused on the right things in life. There's a fear factor, but there's also this incredible love factor that keeps us focused on what's really important in life. Verse 15, Paul says, Before Jesus, we lived for ourselves. Even though I might have thought I was doing God's will, it was really for me. It wasn't God's mission. It wasn't taking the good news. It wasn't God's purpose. But after Jesus... That motivated me to live a life based off of the love of Jesus. When I lived for myself, I was motivated on a life based of fear of the wrong things. Fear of death, fear of loneliness, fear of rejection, fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of the future, fear of COVID, fear of not being enough. And it took me inward. And I began to live life for me. But when I look at Jesus' life and what he's done for me, Paul is saying now, 
because Jesus, of Jesus, I'm now not controlled by the fear of selfishness, driven by selfishness, but I'm controlled by the fear or by the love of what Jesus has done for me. Before Jesus, we feared what we could not control. And we were controlled by our sinful, selfish nature. But now, Jesus' love for me changed me. It changed my heart to think outward and not inward. Paul says the fact that God, Jesus died for me in my place compels us to live for Him on His mission. He says that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. I wish I could give you one formula for how you might persuade others. I know sharing your faith is difficult. I know helping other people find Jesus can be difficult. I wish I had a simple formula. There have been a lot of great tools, a lot of great formulas over the years. There's been some things that have worked really well with some and not so well with others. I don't have an exact formula for you today on how you can live this out. I don't have that exact formula to give you. However, I can give you a really good place to start. I can give you a very simple, easy way that you can quickly today get on mission with God. Something we can all do now. It's simple. It's a simple statement that opens the doors to the hardest skeptic, the atheist, even those who have drifted away from the church and hate the church. You don't even have to bring the church into this, and you can be on mission with God. You may not have the right answers all the time. You may not have all the best speeches or the world-rocking testimony. And You know, you ever heard somebody stand up and give their testimony like, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. It's not important. But this is a statement that will get you on mission with Jesus every time, every day, every way. And here it is. You matter and I care. That's it. You need to start to tell yourself when you come in contact with others, you matter and I care. That is the beginning place. That is the point where you begin to care and be on mission. Because if someone else matters and you care, that will move you to kindness. That will move you to hospitality. That will move you to generosity. Yesterday, you heard Tamara give a devotional on Saturday. And as she was giving that devotional, um, she made a statement that really stuck with me, as she, when she said it, I went, wow, that's really good. Um, the, the devotional said this, I've never met, I have not met a lot of people who have been argued into the kingdom, but I've met a lot of people who've been loved into the kingdom. And sometimes, Christians, we want to argue why the Bible's true. We want to argue why Jesus is the Son of God. We want to argue why you need to clean your life up, why mor- morality's important. We want to argue those things. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. But most people 
were not argued into the kingdom. They were loved. They mattered and someone cared. You mattered and someone cared for you. It's the little things that show you care. It's the little things that show that you care that really matter. Remember Matthew chapter 25 when the the master said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, good job, come on in, share in the wealth of my kingdom. Well, a few verses down, Jesus gives a little bit more explanation about what that looks like at the end time. Look at this. Then the righteous will answer him, Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Next verse. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Next verse. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For, you, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. Did you get that? All it takes. Jesus makes it so simple. Sometimes we want to think that reaching out, sometimes making a difference is just these great big giant things, and Jesus brings it right down to a cup of water or a piece of clothing or food. Jesus takes the simplest thing and he says, You can be on mission. It counts if you do the simplest thing. The little things matter. Jesus is saying, look, just get beyond you for a moment. Just get beyond your life. Just get beyond thinking about yourself. Just get beyond caring only about yourself and only what you can get and only what somebody does for you. Just get beyond that and begin to be kind to others and meet needs and you will begin to be on mission with God. Open the door for the guy in a wheelchair. It counts. Smile at the grumpy lady with the yippity dog who lives next door. It counts. Compliment your wife. It counts. The little things count. And they go a long way in the kingdom of God. The little things are great. And they go a long way. But I still have a problem with just the little things. For you see, a small kindness is a big deal. I mean, it means I'm not all about me. It means I'm thinking about others. It means when I'm in a room with someone and I notice someone needs something and I hold the door for them or I smile at them or I say a kind word to them, those things matter. They help. But it just seems to me like there's more. I have a problem with it because I find in my life that I'm too self-focused at times. As a Jesus follower, listen, listen to me here. As a Jesus follower, my measure of discipleship, my measure of commitment is not to just do the minimum, but to be like Jesus. 
it's not just to do the minimum. It's to be like Jesus. I feel that Jesus lived beyond a cup of water and a piece of food and a piece of clothing. When I read the Gospels and I see his life, Jesus lived at a whole nother level of selflessness that challenges my life, that rubs my life. Jesus lived at a completely different level of sacrifice than just a cup of water and food. The little things are great and they're important and we have to do them, but they're a beginning place. Jesus just didn't give a cup of water or hold a door or smile at a stranger. Look what Jesus did in Romans chapter 5. Look what he did. You see, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, enemies of Christ, he died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, listen, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. How can I be more like Jesus? Jesus paid down his, laid down his life, even for his enemies. I think we start with the you matter and I care. But to get to the next level, to go to that next level of Jesus-like living, I think it includes a simple prayer that you need to pray every day. And every moment to hit that next level. This is not a prayer you pray once. It's not a prayer you move on with. But it's a prayer that you pray daily. This prayer is that next step to start with you. Matter and I care is important. But then take that you matter, I care to a prayer. Are you ready for the prayer? Here it is. Lord, what do they need? And there's a second part. What should I do? I promise you, if you begin to pray this prayer, your life will change, and so will those around you. Can you imagine how our lives, how our churches, how our communities and our world would change if people would just begin to pray this prayer, Lord, what do they need and what should I do? Imagine how this simple little prayer will change your heart and the hearts of those that God calls you on mission to. Imagine you hear of a person's loss and you pray, Lord, what do they need? And over time, the thought comes to your mind, they need to know that they are not alone. What should I do, Lord? A short time later, the answer comes. You need to take them out for lunch and just spend some time with them. So when you call them, you don't give them that impossible answer, that impossible you know, answer to a question. How, how can I help? That's such an open, broad, how can I help? No, you've already prayed, God, what do they need? And he answered you. And how, what should I do? And so you take them out for lunch. It works at all kinds of levels of living. It works with the mean people at the DMV, right? 
while you're standing there in line and your blood pressure is boiling, Lord, what do they need? Well, they need to work a little faster. No, that's not what they need. What do they need? And you hear back, they need a little compassion. Lord, what should I do? And the Lord says, you know, when you get up there, don't yell at them. Don't be rough. But be compassionate. Tell them that they matter and that you really appreciate the hard work they're doing. Maybe it goes even a little deeper in your relationships. God, my daughter is struggling. What should I, what does she need? And over time, God begins to reveal to you that she simply needs to know that you, she matters to you and that you're there for her no matter what. And you say, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord comes back to you and says, find a way each day to connect and reach out to her, to let her know that you're always in her life, no matter what. It works with the jerk at school. Lord, what does that jerk need? No, don't say that. Lord, what do they need? And what should I do? Now, there's a warning. This level of generosity is dangerous. This mission of God can get dicey. Look what James says in James chapter 4. So then, if you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, you sin. God, what does the couple that you've brought to my mind need today? And you hear God say they need a car that's dependable to get them back and forth from work. Lord, what do you want me to do? Give them one. Just got dangerous, didn't it? You see how this works when you open your life up and you begin to see that people matter. Begin to care for them. And then begin to pray, Lord, what do they need? And what can I do? And then you'll begin to listen and obey and be on an incredible mission Listen, here's our bottom line today, and you need to know this. Hospitality is great. Hospitality is great. It helps, but sacrificial hospitality, something that costs you a little bit more than a smile or a cup of water or a little food, well, that changes lives, yours and theirs. Worship team's going to come. I'm going to sing a song. Lord, start a fire in me. Start a fire in my heart. I pray this morning that as this message has spoke to you, that you evaluate your life. What are you living for? You may not have much time. You may have a lot of time. But it really doesn't matter because Jesus has given us our mandate. Jesus has given us our alert that we will all stand before God the Father, before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account of what we've done. How are we living, church? How are we loving? Are we on mission? Listen, God came to change the world one person at a time, and He's using you and me to do it. Are you on mission with Him? You matter, and I care. Lord, what do they need? And what, do, what should I do? As they sing, Answer that question today. Make that commitment today and start looking for opportunities. Ask God to bring them your way to change 
your, your world. Amen? Amen.